Good morning, church. Today's reading is um, from Zechariah 4, and it's headed the gold lampstand and the two olive trees. Then the angel who talked with me returned and woke me up, like someone awakened from sleep. He asked me, What do you see? I answered, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lamps on it, with seven channels to the lamps. Also, there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of of the bowl and the other on its left. I asked the angel who talked with me, What are these, my lord? He answered, Do you not know what these are? No, my lord, I replied. So he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by my might, sorry, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. What are you, mighty mountain, before Zerubbabel? You will become a level ground. Then he, will, then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of God bless it, God bless it. Then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundations of, his, of this temple. His hands will complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Who dares despise the day of small things? Since the seven eyes of the Lord that range throughout the world will rejoice when they see the chosen capstone in the hand of Zerubbabel. Then I asked the angel, What are these two olive trees on the right and the left of the lampstand? Again I asked him, what are these two olive branches beside the two gold pipes that pour out golden oil? He replied, Do you not know what these are? No, my lord, I said. So he said, These are the two who are anointed to serve the Lord of the earth. Good morning. Uh, my name is Jamie. I'm one of the ministers here. Um, uh, you might be feeling like that is a very confusing passage and what on earth is going on. Well, the good news is that Zechariah himself asks what on earth is going on twice in that passage. So if you felt it once, you're doing better than him. Uh, I'm going to pray for God's help as we uh, unpack it and seek to understand this, this vision. Our God and Father, our Lord and King, we pray that you might speak through us this morning, that you might speak to us this morning, that we might be those who hear and those who understand. We pray that you might give us the eyes to see clearly and the ability um, to know what it is that you are wanting us to know so that we might walk in such a way that you would delight in us walking. And we pray this for the glory and for the honour of Jesus. Amen. 
Uh, well, we are working our way through Zechariah. I hope that doesn't come as a surprise to you. If it does, maybe Matt and I need to go back to the, the drawing board. Uh, Matt literally with his pictures. Um, uh, but uh, Zechariah, there's a couple of things that are kind of to recap and really important as we kind of dive into Zechariah 4. And that's these two things. That is, Zechariah is part of a small group of refugees that have returned home after being in exile, being in captured enemy territory in foreign land for 70 years. So Israel was destroyed and they have returned home to the rubble. They've returned home to the rubble where kind of wild dogs are fighting over scraps, crops have been burnt and are ash, um, and they are seeking to rebuild. Okay? They are seeking to rebuild, maybe a little bit like you felt after COVID, but they are seeking to rebuild not just their homes and livelihood, but they also want to rebuild the temple. They've been given permission to rebuild the temple. That is, you can build that place which for the last thousand years has represented you being able to meet with God. And so that's what they're in the process of doing that's what's going on while Zechariah is having these visions and prophesying. And the second thing is that is this, that the main leaders at that time were a guy called Joshua. He was the high priest. We heard about him last week. He was the guy in the vision wearing kind of the soiled clothes, the dirty rags, uh, that God took off uh, his unclean clothes and reclothed him. In his own robes. And so uh, that's Joshua the high priest. He, And then the second figure, the second leader of Israel at that time was a guy called Zerubbabel. And he was uh, kind of the civic leader. He was kind of the organiser of the people at the time. But he was also part of, he had Davidic lineage, which means that he is a descendant of their of Israel's greatest king. And the greatest king who was given a promise that through one of his descendants God would again meet with his people and that this descendant would restore his people to himself and his kingdom would never end. And so they have returned from enemy territory, they are rebuilding the temple with these two guys at their forefront. And that brings us to Zechariah 4. In Zechariah 4, you might have, again, just felt what is happening here. And we believe that all of the Bible is the Word of God, so we don't want to cut bits out. We don't want to leave parts to the side. One of, I forget who it was. Oh, some, no, I forget who it was. I shouldn't say their name. Uh, but one of the American presidents, he actually took a Stanley knife to the Bible and kind of cut bits and pieces out and said, this is kind of the palatable parts of the Bible. These are parts that we don't think are part of the Word of God and are the unpalatable bits. We believe this whole thing is the Word of God, and but we also recognize that it's not all equally clear. Okay? Uh, it's not all equally... There are some parts that are easier to understand than others. Some verses that are on hard mode. 
And so it's helpful for us to go, okay, what is clear? What can we understand? What is known? And so here's a rough breakup that I hope is helpful for kind of getting some understanding in, in a tricky chapter. And that is, it kind of break, falls naturally into three parts. You get the vision of the tree, uh, the lampstand and the trees. And then you get in verse four, a question that is, what is going on? What are these? What is it I'm seeing? And it begins a dialogue about the light, the lampstand. And then the final part is you get then a second question, verse 11, what are these? What's going on? And that begins kind of a conversation around the trees and the branches. Okay, so we're kind of going to follow that rough structure. hope that's helpful for you. I know some note takers are loving me right now. Usually you don't because usually you don't get this kind of stuff from me. Uh, but... Uh, that's kind of where we're going with it. Uh, let's jump into the vision. What uh, He asked, what, is, uh, what do you see? And I answered, verse 2, I see a gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lamps on it with seven channels to the lamps. Also, there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on the left. And so Zechariah looks and he sees something like this. Can you see that? It's quite, maybe not, not so, oh yeah, okay, some of you can see it. Some of you, you're going, I need to book it in with my optometrist. Um, it is meant, and there's debate around what, what are these symbols, okay? So the lampstand, what does that represent? And this kind of, forms the dialogue for the first conversation. And some people think the lampstand represents kind of God's people. So if you go to Revelation, you see uh, there are lampstands there and they represent and they symbolize the church, God's people. Or if you go to kind of the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, you get Jesus saying, you are the light of the world. So some people kind of go, what's going on is kind of, this is, this is the people of God. Some people think that the candles, the lights, that they represent really the temple. And there's, there's merits to all of this, okay? So, because that kind of candlestick holder, that, um, that, uh, kind of candelabra, uh, what are we called? A menorah, a menorah is what it's officially called, that used to stand in the centre of kind of the temple. So that was symbolic of the temple. That's what stood in the temple. And it was to be a reminder of God's presence with his people. And so that's the third thing. People think it might be the people of God. People think it might be representative of the temple. But I think the strongest argument is that it is representing God's presence with his people because that is what it represented in the temple. Not just the building, but God dwelling here in the building. 
that for an Old Testament Jew, they were to walk and stand before the sacrificial altar and they were to see these lights burn, they were to see the fire flicker, and they it was meant to be a symbol to connect them all the way to their past ancestors and to remind them of when they were refugees fleeing Egypt. And that when they were refugees fleeing Egypt, escaping, pursued by enemies, that at night time, when the darkness closed in, and you couldn't see beyond that wall of darkness, and you heard the wolves howl, or you knew the Egyptians were out there somewhere, that at their forefront stood a burning pillar of fire, a tornado of fire that represented God himself leading them out, that God was with them as a pillar of fire, protecting them, keeping them safe, even in the wilderness. Even when they were in the desert. Even when the sun was uh, burning on their backs. Even when the blisters were big and life was hard. That God was with them. And some of you know this, right? Some of you have walked enough of life to know that in those hard moments, it makes all the difference having someone with you. And they don't need to say anything. They don't need to be an incredible counsellor. They don't even need to fix the problem. Husbands. They just need to be there. Right? I think of one of the toughest moments of my life. I uh, called my best friend and uh, he drove six hours. This is about 10 o'clock at night I called him. Drove six hours all night. Why? Because he knew how dire the situation was. He knew uh, that he heard the chokingness of my voice. He knew phone calls like this don't come around often. And so he said to his wife, Kate, you, can you call my work in the morning? Tell them I can't be there. And he hopped in his car and he drove six hours. Why? Because to be there, to have someone there with you makes all the difference. And this was to be a reminder to Israel that God was there. That he was there with them, leading them, protecting them, keeping them safe. That not once did he abandon them in those moments or times. And so as you stood before the sacrificial altar and as you remembered your sin and the way that you have uh, chosen things other than God and as you um, uh, 
gave your goat or your lamb and you saw that the, their throat slid and, and the blood gushing out and them struggling for life and you remembered in that moment that my sin has caused this, that my sin has brought about the death that has cost a life, that you see that animal struggling for life because of your sin and you see those candles burning and you remember not just has this cost a life, but that God hasn't abandoned or rejected you. That he is present there with you. He is present here at the altar. But Israel does not remember. Israel did not care for that. And in one of the saddest chapters in the Bible, you get to Ezekiel 8, and Ezekiel 8, he gets a vision, much like Zechariah. doesn't happen all that often, but Ezekiel 8, he gets this vision, and the angel leads him around the temple and says, have a look here at the entrance. And Ezekiel looks and he sees God's people have brought in foreign gods, idols, other gods into God's temple. Into his very house, into the place that was meant to represent kind of the wedding bed. This special place where where they are joined together where he is their God and they are his people and his faithfulness to them despite them. And they have brought other foreign gods in and are bowing down to them. And then the angel says, you'll see worse things than this. Come around here. He says, look through this hole in the wall. And he looks through and he sees, Ezekiel sees 70 elders of Israel and they are worshipping, bowing down to the sun. They are bowing down to the sun and they are sacrificing their children to foreign gods in God's temple. And what's their line? What they say to each other is this, and Ezekiel hears this, he hears them say, God has left us. That God is not really here. And then the angel says, you'll see worse things than this. And he leads him around and he shows him another place. He says, you'll see worse things than this. And he shows him another place. All of the the cancer has riddled the whole temple. And then you get two chapters later, Ezekiel 10. And in Ezekiel 10, Ezekiel sees the glory of God as smoke and fire rise up from the temple and leave Jerusalem. And the glory of the Lord departs. A few years later, a few months later, 
Israel falls to foreign gods that they so worshipped. But here in Ezekiel 4, in Ezekiel 4, Zechariah 4, here in Zechariah 4, the candle burns again. The candle burns again. That candelabra, which represented God being with his people in the temple. And the angel tells him, this light will burn. This light will burn, verse 6, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit. Not by might, not by your strength, not by people's kind of grit and determination, not by you guys kind of cleaning yourselves up, right? Like, like last week, right? Like, not by you cleaning yourself up. The candle will burn again, but it won't burn because of your brilliance. It won't burn because of your strategy or because of um, your strategicness or your um, resilience. That the temple will not even be built because of your the strength of your arm, but it will be by my spirit, by my grace and by my mercy alone will it be built and will the candle light. And this is good news. This is great news. Because if it was by our strength, If it was by our wit, if it was by our strategic planning, or by our faithfulness, we would never be restored by, with God. You're just not that stubborn. And you're stubborn in all the wrong ways. Like how many people at high school, at high school, let's go high school and then we can go today, right? How many people in high school went to a youth camp if you grew up in church world and you heard an evangelistic message at a youth camp and you said, great, yes, and you prayed a prayer and then you kind of on that Saturday night said, I'm going to go back or maybe Sunday midday you go, I'm going to go back home and I'm going to just live faithfully for God and I'm, I'm not going to say no to all these things again and I'm never going to do that again. And you go back and two days later, you last like two days. And what was true when you were 14 is no less true now you're 40. Maybe you make three days. Not by strength, nor by power, but by my spirit. And then I love this. Verse 7. What are you, mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. He's, he's, he's kind of saying, what mountain? Like we're talking about building the temple. We're talking about God being restored. God's just like... What mountain? What obstacle? 
you become level ground. You're going to get flattened like tissue paper before a Mack truck. Then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of God bless it, God bless it. And what's going on here is, this is a reference to kind of a a rare ritual that used to happen, and that's this. Back in the ancient Near East, there was a ritual that, where a temple or palace was destroyed, that sometimes what you would do is you would pluck a stone from the rubble. And you would take that first stone from the rubble, and it would become the foundation stone, the cornerstone for the new rebuilt temple, for the new rebuilt palace. And this is likely what Psalm 118 is referring to when it says the rejected stone will become the cornerstone, the foundation stone. This is what the New Testament identifies, not just as a stone, but as a person. That Jesus is the stone that was rejected, and yet now becomes both the stumbling block and the foundation stone for the new temple, the new place, the church. Truly, I tell you, I will tear down this temple, Jesus says, and rebuild it in three days, that the stone that was rejected will become the cornerstone. Verse 8. There we are, verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to me, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. Sorry, I lost my spot. Uh, His hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Who dares despise the day of small things? Since the seven eyes of the Lord that reigns throughout the earth will rejoice when they see the chosen capstone in the hands of Zerubbabel. That despite how ordinary it looks, O Israel despite how mundane it seems, despite how unimpressive this kind of is and almost um, disheartening. Do not despise it because this is the very place that God is actually working. That God seems to take great delight in working in the ordinary things to bring about extraordinary things. The exhausted prayers of a mother every night for her children before bed. The scripture teacher teaching a year six class that just feel like a pack of wolves. Reading the Bible again, even when it feels uninspiring and you're reading the same sentence again and again and again. 
the changing of another diaper, the dealing of another fight, that it is exactly in the ordinary, in the mundane, in the faithful, unextraordinary, little things that God seems to take great delight in working for his glory. And Ezra tells us when they finally build the temple, you know what happens? You know, we would throw a celebration service. We would cut a ribbon, smash a bowl of communion juice. (laughs) You know what they do? They weep. And not out of beauty. They weep, Ezra tells us, because of how unimpressive and how just how disproportionate it is to the first temple. The temple of their memories. That's what Ezra tells us. You know what Zechariah tells us? It's there, verse 10. He tells us that the the Lord who sees everything, that's what the seven eyes are about, the Lord who sees everything throughout the earth, that he rejoices when he sees the chosen capstone in the hands of Zerubbabel. They weep. Meanwhile, God is rejoicing at their... Little faithful persistence. So do not despair, do not despise the mundane. Then part two, we get, then the angel, then I asked the angel, there we are, then verse 11, Then I asked the angel, what are these olive trees on the right and on the left of the lampstand? Again I asked, what are these two olive branches beside the gold pipes that pour out golden oil? He said, do you not know what these are? Which I kind of love, because if I was Zechariah, I would say, am I meant to know what these are? Um, No, Lord, he said. So he said again, these are the two who are anointed to serve the Lord of all the earth. Again, there is some debate I think most likely they are Joshua and Zerubbabel, the two leaders of Israel, the high priest from the priestly line and Zerubbabel, the ruler from the Davidic line. And his point is that through these two lines meeting, I will come again and dwell with my people. And that is exactly what happens. Zerubbabel ends up building the temple of God. The the candles are lit once again. And yet it seems like there is something more going on. It seems like the new temple doesn't really capture the fullness of Zechariah's vision. It seems like more was promised. 
and it is. But you'll have to wait till Christmas. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'll, I'll take two minutes. We'll finish two minutes. You get to the Christmas story, and you see Mary from Joshua's line, the priestly line, and jo- and Joseph is from Zerubbabel's line, the Davidic line, and it is as the priestly and line and the Davidic line come together that Jesus is born. And how is he born? He is conceived, Luke 1 tells us, not by might, not by strength, but by the Holy Spirit coming upon her, but by my Spirit. And it is through this one, this ordinary mundane, not in riches, not in a palace, not with trumpet sounding, sounding, but born in a stable, or more likely a cave in the wall, in an unimpressive town, that God will come to dwell in this broken, beautiful world. And he will stand in a court and proclaim that he is the light of the world in the most ordinary of places, with the most ordinary of people, those that the world had rejected or counted as the least of these, that ultimately in the most unimpressive of ways, he would come, and not through a throne, but through a criminal's cross, would restore God's wayward people to himself that he would be the rejected stone that would become the capstone, that here at the cross people might again meet with God. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that You do not abandon um, a wayward people. We thank you for your persistence with us. We thank you that you return to Israel. Uh, You don't just go to another nation, but you return to Israel. And you extend the invite to all who might come. We thank you for how Zechariah points us forward to the great rescue story, the great story of you coming and dwelling with us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.